0: What are the odds on in Blake's internet connection for tonight?
1: Ooh. Oh, I'm hardwired Ooh. in. Mm. I'm plugged in. I am. Uh, we're rocking and rolling. This is uh, not my first rodeo. It only took me 200 episodes to figure it out. <laughs> actually, while I say that, I'm actually not plugged in. I'm going to go ahead and plug in. So, <laughs> thank you for the reminder. Good figure.
2: This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. And this is Bourbon Community Roundtable number 66. And here's what we have on the topic list for today. Pritzker Private Capital has acquired Bardstown Bourbon Company. So what does that mean for the pioneer of hospitality in Bardstown, as well as one of the pioneers of hospitality in bourbon in general? And as we all know, that bourbon capital spending is on the rise. We have distilleries that are adding more fermenters, more stills, and just increasing capacity. But we've also heard that there's going to be a barrel shortage on the horizon. So with all these producers making more barrels of bourbon, how can Cooper just keep up? And we all know with the supply chain that raw materials, shipping, and the cost of market is increasing. And Jim Beam has already announced that they're going to have the second price hike this year, to its premium bourbon brands like Booker's and Knob Creek. So how long should bourbon companies keep absorbing these costs, or should we expect prices to go up across the board? With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
3: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from someone simply known as Mike who writes me on fredminnick.com wanting to know how I do blind tastings when by myself. Now, I will tell you that this is not as easy as you might think. That's why I recruit people near me, my wife, people who work with me to do the pouring and all that. But it's a lot of work. It's not easy. It's not like you can just like uh, pour a glass and say, oh, this is one. I mean, you got to write it down. I mean you know, when you do this professionally, this stuff is not easy. It's, it's actually a lot of work. So the method that best method that I have come up with is I will on a little bitty piece of paper, I will uh, get it down to where it's the size of a, of a thumbnail and I will pour it and then write the brand on this piece of paper and put it underneath the glass, tape it underneath the glass. And then I'll have someone move the glasses around and then I'll rank them that way. You know, when I pick my favorites, I pull the, the little note that's on the bottom of the glass. And then I have it right there. That's how I know what it is. And I've done that effectively on on YouTube a couple times. But it is a an absolute difficult thing to do because you try to keep the pieces of paper right. You try to tape them all right. And there really is no substitute for having someone do all the pouring and numbering for you. But in a pinch, that method can work. But you still need someone else in that scenario. And so there is there is another way uh, to do it. You know, you can uh, simply put them in like uh, paper bags. Like in wine, we would do this all the time. Back in the, my wine days when we were doing blind tastings, you just put it in a brown paper bag and you pour. Now, the difference between wine and whiskey is that every wine bottle is within is within 5% of being exactly the same at the closure portion so where the neck where it's being poured out of and so you as long as you take off the foil you can't see the top of a wine bottle and say oh that's opus 1 you know it's it's difficult to do that so you're protected from the label with wine with bourbon you know, they'll have an incredibly large openings. They'll have branding around the lip. So you just have to be creative with how you hide that. You know, you could like get decanters, pour each one of them out in a decanter that's exactly the same. And so you know what the decanter is, put that decanter in a paper bag and want all all five, six, seven, whatever paper bags are exactly the same from the lip perspective. And then boom, you know, so there there are ways to do this. It's just work. And you know, anyone who ever doesn't think that what I do is work, uh, you know, go ahead, do five, five blind tastings uh, in a row by yourself and see how well you do. I mean, it's it's tough. and even even after all these years, I still don't have the best answer for you on this. That's why I hire people, so but that's going to do it for uh, this week's above the Char. If you want to be like Mike. You want to be like, yeah, oh, that was a Nike commercial back in the day. Hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the question, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers.
2: Welcome, everybody. Here is episode, well, I don't even know what episode it is, but it's Burbank Community Roundtable number 66 tonight. And we have got the whole gang here today. So, Ryan and Fred. Good to see you all once again. Another month, another roundtable. Y'all ready for it?
3: It is time to throw down.
2: I'm excited. It's March Madness, baby. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel, It's Bourbon Night, bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixirs Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink Barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. What, brackets open up next week? Is that what I
4: saw? Yeah.
2: It's so weird. Ever since the pandemic hit, I quit paying attention to like Kentucky basketball and all this other kind of stuff. I used to have my alarm set. It was like Tuesday night, Saturday. I'd know when to sit down and get my beers out. But I don't know. There's just something that happened. And not to mention, two years ago, cats just kind of fell apart. So I, I kind of quit paying attention a little bit. But I will be going to Vegas here next week for the start of the NCAA tournament. So
4: oh, if, it's you a good some, weekend. if you have some, if you have nice. some best, go ahead and message mm. me and I'll see if I can put them in for you. Nice. Let's bet a, a production run of pursuit spirits. <laughs> <laughs> Double down. See If we can get it. Yeah. With all of our investor money, I'm sure they'd love that. <laughs> yeah. It's going to go really good or really bad. Yeah. Do we put it all on red or black? Do we
2: go for one team to win it all? What's the, what's the way to go there? We'll do cats to cover first round. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So you already heard a few voices on here, so I'll let Blake go ahead and introduce himself. Yeah, I'm Blake from uh Sealbox and Bourboner.
1: Keep it short. Always fun to be here. The uh 98th round table in a row. And uh actually what number are we on? We gotta be up there. It's 66. Like, yeah, 66. So always fun to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. Brian.
5: All right, guys. Brian was sipping corn and bourbon justice. I missed the last one, so um, I'm kind of out of practice. So I'm going to work on getting back into this one. Appreciate
2: being on it again. It's all right. You're a little rusty, but I'm sure you'll bounce back right. I'll bounce right on back.
0: (laughs) I know. And Jordan. This is Jordan, one of the three guys from BreakingBourbon.com. Look us up for all your review needs when you're standing in the liquor store deciding what to buy. Thanks for having us.
2: All right. So let's get into it. And the first one is, honestly, it's the big news of the day. It's what everybody's been talking about. If you're not hearing this till Thursday, then I guarantee you've heard it by now because Pritzker Capital, or should I say Pritzker Private Capital, otherwise known as PPC, has now acquired BBC or Bardstown Bourbon Company. So Pritzker Private Capital is a leader in family direct investing, and they announced the acquisition of Bardstown Bourbon Company who is an innovative distiller and producer of bottler premium Kentucky bourbon and rye whiskey brands. So Pritzker is investing alongside members of the Bardstown bourbon management team and its current investors. So Mark Irwin, president of CEO and Bardstown bourbon's current management will continue to lead the business. However, financial terms were not disclosed. So let's talk about this a little bit. I think one of the first things to to kind of dive into is Fred, you had put this out on your Instagram and all of a sudden it went, like yeah. in the wrong direction, people turned it political right away, which mm-hmm. I don't feel that that's the right way this should have gone.
3: Yeah, it's 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 funny, like you know, we're seeing this a lot just in 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 public. Uh, you know, far you know, bourbon is like our escape, right? Of this of this crazy world we're living in right now, and it's it's pretty bit It's been pretty solid for that escape. Occasionally, there's a little bit of politics that gets through in a group or or like some gun chatter or something like that comes up, but very rarely do you see it kind of blow up like it did and bringing up Ukraine versus Russia and uh, the Illinois governor. I mean, it just, it just, it got out of control real fast and it was um, I mean, I basically, I normally would post something like this on my website versus uh, Instagram, but I mean, I was getting my kid ready for school and I just didn't have time. And I knew going back and forth, I was like, you know, I got to get this up. So I just did a screenshot, which seems to be the cool thing to do these days. And I put it on, I put <laughs> it on Instagram and, it? Yeah. and I was just like, damn, I might just start switching to doing this. That was easy, you know? So, and then people just went, went, went crazy. And, uh, and it's, you know, it was sad because there were some really good people in there that got, you know, bloodied up and, and they were just talking in general not even bringing up politics at all and it's just like even people who were not talking politics got attacked you know it was it was it was very very strange it must have just hit at the right time when people hadn't had their coffee yet
4: it's the case of the
2: mondays you know
5: <laughs> yeah right
2: <laughs> yeah i think that's one thing to also just make sure we kind of set aside and know is that even you know whether your political alliances lie from what we've understand and and kind to know at this point is that the Pritzker family is just, they're wealthy, like they're billionaires. And from a little bit of research that I saw earlier is that they got a lot of their money all from the Hyatt, Hyatt hotel change and everything like that is where they, they kind of started getting rich. And this is just one way of it's, it's just where people are parking their money at the end of the day. And from what I understand is that J.B. Pritzker who is the Democratic governor of Illinois, he is no longer in the business. Him and his brother Tony founded the business. However, he went, when he started running for politics, he left that business. So he has nothing to do with anything inside of here. So just to kind of let you know that this is still like a family-run thing at the end of the day, Ryan and I actually had a conversation with some of the people at Bardstown earlier today and kind of just got some clarifications on on some stuff like that. And they were beyond ecstatic to to kind of see this trending in the new direction for them but let's go ahead and, and and kind of talk about you know sort of the motives behind some of this sort of stuff too um mm-hmm. you know i think one thing that mike bliss had actually put on the screen earlier i put him on it earlier he said wasn't bardstown just an investment play from the beginning absolutely i mean this was you had your original investors of of dave mandel you had the um uh, who is the guy that started Lofton, Yeah, Pete Lofton. Yeah, Pete Pete. Lofton. Um, a lot of this is, and they had the vision uh, of where it's going to go. And, you know, at some point you just got to figure out what's, what's the right direction and what are you going to move? And when something like this happens, I mean, it's a business at the end of the day. And I can tell you right now that those people that invested early on, they're probably in a pretty good position now with the shares that they had and they, they sold out there. So I don't think anybody's really going to be unhappy from that side of the fence.
5: I, let me jump then it's it it was a genius play when they found it was it only 2016 or something like that for BBC?
4: 2015 15 was, 16
5: yeah. i mean just absolute genius prediction there that that there's going to be such a market for for brands coming in that that needed the distillation they needed their particular recipes i mean they're up to like 50 mash bills mm-hmm. that they're doing now or something like that because you can do whatever recipe you want to do. And so it was just genius. They, they grew so much from the word go, they had the bottling line and, and now this is sort of the, in that in any kind of business, this is the next step. You bring in equity money, um, or you get bought out by some, you know, mammoth company and that's when you start cashing in so it's it this had to have been the play from the beginning either sell out to equity or sell out to someone bigger but i'm uh, from the press release it sounds like they've kept management in which i think is really important because they've made such smart decisions to this point so kudos to them
1: yeah i think it was an interesting one um First questions first is, uh you know, did anybody predict this in our end of 2021 roundtable <laughs> of who was going to be the
5: first? That's I, what I was asking, Kenny. Down. He needed a clip.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody had. Lauren, go ahead and insert us all making incorrect um <laughs> predictions for what was going to happen. But no, I think this one was a little bit surprising. You know, I think we all saw them growing fast and everything. But I mean... I don't know. The, the backlash was a little bit uh, shocking to me, I think, as well as uh, Fred probably reading his comments. But, you know, we're not in Illinois, so I, I this was the first time I'd heard that name, to be honest. Um, you know, I know it comes with some history for some people, but uh, from everything I can read, you know, management's in place. I think you know, just knowing some of those guys over there and they've done the right thing this whole time. I can't imagine that they're just going to go and just change things up overnight. And I imagine they'd look for the right partner with something like this, but you you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thing to think that like just a partner buyout could be that controversial. Now, if that actually matters for sales, I don't think it will. Um, you, you know, maybe People in Illinois are, are against it and, and have a, a certain feeling on it. But in total, I think Bardstown's just going to continue to grow. They've kind of done it the right way the whole time and supplied a lot of different places bourbon and really good bourbon at that. So,
2: Yeah, I think there's also one thing to kind of talk about. Political aside, I know there was a lot of comments on there. Of Even there's here Power Bourbon says one. It's interesting that they sold before releasing any of their own bourbon. You know, if you think about it, it was private investors that already owned it and they just sold it to other private investors. Like that's all it is. It's just trading hands at the end of the day. It's not like it's BBC that owns anything. It's just in the hands of other people. They had their own board, a board made decisions that the CEO, the company doesn't get to make all the decisions. They have a board above them that gets to do it. So it's not like it's, it's just, you know, a private company, a mama pop shop and, they sold out to Anheuser Busch, and now all of a sudden, their craft beer is going to taste like crap. Like it's it was never that to begin with. It was our. It's basically just changing hands and going to figure out. Okay, well, now this person might have some bigger pockets to to figure out what you can do. I mean, the ownership at at a, at a board level is is a little bit different because you've got to figure out what's going to. The people that are on the board are going to make the decisions in the best interest of them sometimes, and so they're going to figure out well, what is it that I want to get out of this. And if the company wants to move in a different direction, it, the board is going to steer that. And so by being able to go and sell it off to somebody else, you can align the vision and you can buy out the shares of whoever is on the board or anybody else like that. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: they could, I mean, hypothetically looking at this, I mean, if they wanted to sit there and figure out, well, what's the next phase of growth for BBC? Well, if the prior board didn't want to do that, well, they got to figure out how they can get something else on board to go and make that happen. So. I think it's one of the things that Fred always said is like somebody up there is playing chess while we're playing checkers. And that's exactly what's happening at the end of the day is that these are decisions that are made well above and beyond the bourbon consumer. And you've just got to understand that it's probably what's going to happen best. It's it's not like Kieran came in and bought them or Anheuser-Busch or anything else. Like this is still just a private company at the end of the day. And from what you could tell in the press release, that it's a manufacturing company. All they care about is manufacturing and growth. And I think there was somebody else in here that just said, well, uh, Danny actually said, well, won't they just flip it in a couple of years? Cause that's what private equity funds do. Yeah, probably. Uh, that's probably what's going to happen. They're probably going to keep moving in the right direction, keep funneling money for the next few years, keep the growth at, at the position that they're going and figure
0: out what's the next move for them in, you know, five to 10 years. So who knows? You know, it's really interesting. Bourbon's one of those. And I think especially the the folks listening to this and the folks chiming in right now and, and listening to it later on. Right. So passion, a bunch of, of, clearly bourbon enthusiasts and bourbon consumers and and bourbon has a deep rooted history. You think of bourbon, you think of, you know, families, generationals, um, generations that have have been distilling, that have been owning. You think of the big boys in Kentucky. Um, you think of a lot of the craft startups and, and the family approach that they've been taking for the last 10, 20 years. But at the end of the day, right. Unless you're one of those true distilleries that that's in it for the long haul, you have that deep, steeped, rich history. You're a business. And and if you can get out there, and to your point, Kenny, they they are probably going to flip it in a few years. And you know what? If BBC is around for, we'll say, only 10 years and they have a giant rise and a quick fall, but the investors made a ton of money, that was their goal to begin with. Their goal was not to say, hey, I hope that consumer is really enjoying our bourbon and that they really like us and they want us to be around for 100 years. They're saying, hey, I hope that consumer really likes their bourbon and they keep buying it. And they keep funding our pockets and we get really rich. And then if we go away, who cares? There's other stuff that they can buy, right? Then it's, it is, it's a business. This is what it is. But I think bourbon has that history behind it. So people take it so personally, you know, they want to see those firms like, oh, they should be here 200 years. That's not the case, sadly.
3: We, we, we do have such a romance to bourbon and we're all guilty of it. But when I put my business hat on, I'm looking at this deal and I'm asking myself the question, where was Constellation? You know, Constellation, which, uh, you know, took a minority stake in the company, a part of suburban company in 2016, they, they're they out. Uh, and that has not been the history of Constellation in, in the in, in recent years. They ended up buying Nelson Greenbrier. They ended up buying uh, High West. So I'm wondering, is, is this a sign that Constellation Is that which they're they've never been a patient company in American whiskey, you know they offloaded uh, a Barton uh, to Sazerac, so I'm wondering like is this are we going to start seeing them, you know sell their shares of uh, you know Nelson's Greenbrier and High West? I mean I think that's you know you always have a trickle down effect, and if that's the case, is this new uh, is this new company in the buy in mode? I mean I, I think that's. I think there's something greater here than just the acquisition of Bardstown you know that could be at play. Uh, I've seen some comments too about like how this is the this is a really good sign that bourbon is on the is is about to be on the decline and you know they're talking mm-hmm. about like publicly traded companies with financials that are showing tequila surpassing uh bourbon and they're starting to shift a lot of energy to to tequila.
4: So I don't know. I mean this is this is this is a moment. To me, I I think it says otherwise. If a manufacturing company is getting in the spirits company in the spirit space, then that just means we're at the beginning. It's like they're in some major manufacturing, you know, they're they get they're invested in those big manufacturing companies that are much bigger scale than bourbon companies are. And I think it's important too that like you Kenny talked about, it's a family owned business with this you know, this equity investor and they, they're wanting to keep everything at Bardstown the way it is, you know, Bardstown to me, Bardstown bourbon company to me is, you know, they've been about money, but they I think they've had a longer term vision than that. You know, they're very, very focused on hosp- hospitality and like, they kind of really pushed the other bourbon companies to embrace like how important Kentucky is bourbon tourism, bourbon experience, They were really like pioneers in that space, and kind of pushed everyone to to kind of keep up with them um, Mm -hmm. in that regard. And it was brilliant. Like they saw, you know, Heaven Hill, you know, slowing down contract distillation, Four Roses slowing down contract distillation, MGP kind of getting full, and it's like there's nobody contract distilling in Kentucky. We can make this happen, and it's like you know just pure brilliance. I mean, and the long term thinking and i think it's going to continue on with the existing group they have there. full disclosure you know we contract to still with them and ha- have uh you know a relationship with them and we're we're actually super thrilled that they're going with a private equity investor versus an, another distillery or you know a spirits group but uh yeah i think it's all good for for them uh moving forward i think if this was a situation where you know some people wanted to start milking the cow and some people wanted to start feeding the cow or keep feeding the cow. And, you know, I think in this time and position in the company, they still need to feed the cow to get to where it really needs to be moving forward. And, uh, I'm just, uh, excited for them. I think it's a good, a good partnership for everyone involved. I think they're going to double down on the contract is distillation side. And that, you know, for people like us, that makes us feel good. But I think it's just going to be a good home for, American whiskey and to see all these companies continue to thrive, you know, in this contract distilling space. I like your analogy. Good job, Ryan. Well, you're always
0: you're always here for the good ones. I'm like really invested where this cow's gonna go now. You know,
4: gonna yeah. And I'm
3: like, is this a Jersey cow? Because that will mean they need to eat more versus a Holstein. Is it Wagyu? You know, what's going on here? You
4: know? It's a it's a Wagyu double massage Japanese cow.
5: Bourbon <laughs> uh, aged stout. For I, the this Wagyu. is just such a
3: this is just such a. You know, I I I had involvement with Bardstown Bourbon Company. I mean, I built their I built their whiskey library, uh, the vintage library, and it's um, it kind of became a the the an independent pinnacle of of like experiences in in Bardstown. And Ryan's absolutely right that they really pushed everybody on the tourism side, but yet you know, a manufacturing company is not going to be as excited about like the restaurant and tourism scene as they are like the contract distillation side. So I'm going to be very curious to see where this goes. Are they going to keep the restaurant operations? Are they going to keep the the mm-hmm. library? And, you know, of course, everything is yes now. But, you know, when they get inside uh, under the hood and maybe see like profit margins on contract mm-hmm. distillation is through the roof. And boy, that, that little space right there that has a kitchen, Sure would make a nice extra mash town right there. <laughs> well, you
4: know? There's there's a brilliant CEO from Odell. He had a line as the Jordan Blake would know sanity over vanity. And, you know, the vanity is the, the restaurant, you know, and the marketing and all that. But I think BBC where they were at, I mean, I even would walk in there and, you know, their brand new bottling hall. And I'm start looking at like, you know, this is great. But if you think about the 60, contract distillers that are there and if they're all growing double digits there is no way they're going to be able to bottle for every single client here you know including us and so i think like and that too you know they've been on a three-year wait list for three years it's like okay so how are they gonna continue to keep scaling this you know as, as they were and so i think it's just like we need somebody that's an expert in the manufacturing side, now it's not distillation or contract, but you know things are all relative in business. And it's uh, especially when it's you have an expertise in manufacturing. I think it it makes sense to get you know more efficient, use space more efficiently. I think that's where they were headed with this decision. Yep, totally agree. Let's go ahead
2: and we'll uh, we'll move on to our second topic here because this is there's you can go and read all about it. I'm sure there's gonna be more things that are going to develop throughout the week and into next week and stuff like that as well. But the other thing I want to talk about is we, we keep talking about all the money that's being thrown around into every distillery. They are putting more and more money into stills, into fermentation tanks, into second locations for their own distillery and stuff like that. And we've already heard uh, on a few different sources that there is going to be a barrel shortage on the horizon. So as we start looking into our crystal ball of, everybody doubling capacity i think we saw the first time last week was kentucky cooperage a part of independence day started putting a 4.1 million dollar expansion into the use barrel side but when we start looking at this and we see everybody basically doubling in size ryan was talking about how can bottling keep up the bardstown but how can cooperages keep up across the entire spectrum across the entire bourbon category here and that's just not in kentucky that's across the united states The distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com. That's P L U S dot com and use code Pursuit at checkout for five dollars off your subscription. How can Cooperages keep up across the entire spectrum? across the entire bourbon category here. And that's just not in Kentucky. That's across the United States. So I'm kind of curious to kind of get your all's take on, is this another part of the market that all of a sudden, if you happen to own part of the Ozarks, maybe you start chopping down some trees and making barrels here.
3: Well, it's it's almost like the cooperage industry was taking a look at the glass industry and said, uh, Oh, you got a shortage. Well, hold my beer, you know, Uh, uh, but we've, we've we've been through this before you know, in 2009, there was a a prominent shortage that was caused by labor. We saw it a few years later, also labor, but also there were some trees that were really damaged in ice storms and a lot of weather. So these kind of kind of come and go. The difference right now is there's been some recent studies that came out and said we could possibly face a white oak issue in the Eastern forest. So I think that's probably the greater issue here and the distilling industry and the cooperage industry are actually at the forefront of trying to, uh, to fix that. But I, I think what, what you have here is you actually do have a long waiting list to get a, a lot of barrels, but by the time you end up getting the barrel and you, and you feel it and, and it comes to a product, I mean, it's six to eight years later. So today we're looking at, you know, barrels that would have been bottled when, you know, a lot of the listeners we have right now weren't even into bourbon. So I don't think we will, we will see this, uh, uh immediately. And we've, we've weathered this before. The greater issue is like, is there a greater concern than just a shortage ahead?
0: You know, the other thing to remember is, There's not so much going to be a shortage because you can always turn to other sources of oak from outside of the U.S., right? It doesn't mean you're going to pay American white oak prices, right? French oak is going to be a lot more, Mongolian oak, etc. But you you can always find oak out there. It's just going to be, what are you going to be paying for it? So it's going to be really interesting as we move forward, just in terms of, do we start seeing more and more distilleries reach for their barrels from outside of the U.S.? versed from inside of the U S and of course they'll have a price impact. But as Fred said, you're not going to see that instantly. It's going to be multiple years down the road.
2: I want to echo something real quick from Kyle Anderson. And he said, stop toast finishing now and we'll <laughs> go ahead and save a few barrels here. <laughs> save all the double Oak.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. So I was kind of like just doing a little bit of research and it seems like this topic comes up quite a bit over the years. And I've talked to some distillers who, you know, I I remember it may have been old elk where they were, you know, like trying to line up timber and everything to make sure they did have enough supply. And he thought it was easing. And, um, and then literally about an hour ago, I got an email from a distiller who was like, they're just getting started up. And he's like, man, we're, it seems like a lot has changed in the last six months. So I don't know. I mean, you would think the supply chain would be less of an issue, but maybe it's labor. Maybe it's not even the actual Oak. It's just getting it processed and you know, it has to change hands several times, but that seems to be one that always gets figured out. I'm would be more worried about the glass shortage. Um, you know, right now there's a lot of wineries and stuff thinking their wine's going to get over Oak cause they have nothing to dump it into. because because of the glass shortage, so I, I'd be more worried about that one as of now than the uh, than the barrels just yet, but we'll see. it's definitely interesting nonetheless because it takes time
5: it, it takes time, and it what it brings me back to is reading articles about the uh, about how slow growth oak made a different bourbon, and mm-hmm. in the last fifteen years, we've been using quicker growth oak and you just, you, you look at the rings in the staves and it reacts different when you, when you burn it and you char it and it gives you different flavors. So we're getting all of these things in place to, to try to make sure we have a supply, but we're, we're doing something different to the barrels. So I think there's two issues. One is that, you know, that the issue is, are there going to be enough barrels, but what's changing on the barrels? So I think we got to keep an eye on that too. And you know, the people like um, Pat Heist who know more things about this than I'll ever know. I mean, I just keep listening to those guys.
2: Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of ways to look at and figure out where is this going to go? Personally, I look at this as if there's going to be a barrel shortage, like we're going to feel it relatively soon. And the good thing is, is that I know you have the big guys, you have independent save and Kelvin are probably the ones that most people come to mind right away however being on this side of the fence now we've learned there's probably about 30 or 40 cooperages around the u.s that we had mm-hmm. never heard of before and we're learning about new ones every single week so there is the opportunity to start looking at a lot of other different types of cooperages out there and not just the one or two main main manufacturers even those those one or two main ones it's kind of economies of scale so that's why people go with them because they're going to be cheaper prices and it's tried and true and it works but there is going to be opportunities for others to kind of come in and potentially help fill this void in this gap too in the future so who knows yeah
3: i mean we we there's a lot of focus on the east coast but um you know there's a lot of good oak in uh, on the west coast and they're much more sensitive to cutting trees down than than the southeast And that's one of the I think that's one of the issues that uh, like Westland in Seattle has done a really good job of combating. And they've done a good job of telling the story of Gary oak and things like things like that. And in in Minnesota, uh, in Michigan, you've got coopers uh, that are doing a good job of using some of the timber there. So there is and that wood has not entered the ecosphere of American whiskey before, you know, up until now though, those trees have been untouched for the use of making bourbon barrels. So to, to Brian's point, there could be great first growth old Oak in Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, that has, would have never seen, you know, become a bourbon barrel. so I think,
2: I think that's really interesting, uh, too. And. uh, What if we did this? What if we said, You can't make any other barrels except 53 gallons. So we'll just get rid of all those five and 10 gallon things and you can only have 53. So we've already solved part of the problem there.
3: And you could also stop new construction on housing. That could probably go a long way. (laughs) There you go. I think that would, that that would cause a little bit more of a, but don't they mostly
4: use pine in?
3: They do mostly. They still use hardwoods, you know,
2: especially in the furniture side Sure, the floors. And yeah. 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 My, my floors are all oak and I love them. I wouldn't trade them for the world.
4: <laughs> Mine's red oak though. Instead of ripping up
5: copper from people's houses, they're gonna rip <laughs> up oak.
4: <laughs>
1: Find hundred year old houses to uh, uh just rip up the floors on. That's yeah. that's exactly right.
4: <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's just everything just getting harder and harder for the small guy, you know, to try to make it, you know, right now it's it's if you're a big boy and you got the buying power, they're going to go to you first. And the small guys, unfortunately are just going to get squeezed out. And that's a, that's just unfortunate. And it's kind of the world we live in right now. It's like, not just bourbon, it's everything. It's it's, uh, yeah, it sucks. It's just another thing to stress me out. Kenny, thanks for bringing this up. (laughs) Let's let's keep talking other things that are stressful, and this has all kind of been
2: somewhat of a financial-ish kind of episode. So let's kind of hit the last topic here, and that's because we we all are not. If you haven't paid attention, uh, there's inflation going on; like prices are going up everywhere, and so raw materials, shipping, just costs of getting your product to market—it's all increasing. You can't get away from it. Beam has already announced that there are price hikes that are going to happen for the second time this year to its premium bourbon brands like Booker's and Knob Creek. So at this point, we have to start looking at everything across the board. How long should bourbon companies keep absorbing the costs, or is it time to start expecting prices to go up across the board?
3: Oh, hell no. They can absorb them costs for a while. <laughs> yeah. Hell no. We don't need the price hike. In all seriousness, there's other areas they can increase prices by God. Vodka's a good place to start. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean it's i, I think it's, it's interesting, interesting Beam came out yeah. Beam came out first right away and said that they've already done one price increase this year and they're going to do another and i see that and for we've talked about it at nauseam here is that this is a premiumization category and bourbon's been undervalued for a very long time so adding an extra five dollars at the counter I, who knows if people are going to care or take notice
5: I saw a comment that Four Roses single barrel is up to seventy five dollars.
2: That might be for their maybe, maybe their barrel, barrel, barrel or strength something. or
3: something. No, right? I mean it's, it, it's market dependent. It, oh. It's it's market dependent, wow. and Man. It, it, and here here is here's the truth of the matter.
2: Oh, went from seventy five to ninety. There we go. There's the there go, that part of that. bourbon. I mean,
3: a- bourbon had been just fine at certain price points, like you know, you could make money at $12 a bottle, no marketing to it. And yeah, there's a lot of things that go, there's a lot of things happening that's causing increases, but the two major costs of a bottle of bourbon in the store, taxes and marketing, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, those are the two major costs. If you were to strip, strip away taxes and marketing, you could probably get away with spending 10 to 15 bucks on, on that bottle. And that is like, that is what's going to get cut is going to be PR marketing bourbon brands. They are kind of like, they're watching, they're watching people's acceptance of $50 product. And Mm -hmm. it's not as it sells, but it doesn't sell like, uh, you know, the, the $30, once they get into that $50 price point, they're now competing against, uh, Glenn, you know, really good Glenn livett uh, some, some McAllen, you know, actually they're a little bit, still a few dollars off from McAllen, yeah, but, 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 but like, right. uh, they're, they're starting to get in that realm of like single malt scotches and, you know, they're punching there. They're in that, they're in that ring, but they still depend on us cheap assholes that like to spend 30 bucks on, on a bottle versus 50 and that's me by the way.
1: Yeah, but okay, well, I would agree with that to a point, but I think the brands that are making a splash are all in the the higher price point range at least within kind of the world
2: we're in, you know. Yeah, you're right. Nobody talks about old granddad. Everybody's talking no. about Blue Run. Everybody's talking about you know all these other big bottle or big big dollar brands.
1: Yeah, and that's what it's new and exciting kind of pushing things forward. So obviously, you know, brands are going to see that. And go, you know, somebody said in the chat, Matt Matthew Layton said, you know, 100 is the new 50. And we've talked about this before, but how many times has somebody asked you for a suggestion, and it's not on profile or what's good? It's like, hey, I want to buy a hundred dollar bottle. What should I get? And you know that that ends up pushing a lot of the markets. I think we'll just, you know, Booker's. They tried that a few years back, and then um, got a lot of pushback on increasing the price. And it was like
2: only what two years ago? No, that was, nah, really. that was, that was like more before. like three or four now. Yeah, yeah
1: right. four Been that long. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. that long before <laughs> yeah. COVID.
2: Yeah, it was good like two
1: years before <laughs> was COVID. It like before that. Um, but no, I think you know they these big companies they they do their market research. They know they'll lose if they increase price by twenty percent. They'll lose like 001 percent of customers, and it's like, well, it's worth it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it kind of. Back to what we were saying about the, you know, this is a business. At the end of the day, as much as we all love it, it, it is true. So
0: it's funny you say that, Blake. Right. So we just did an article the other week on the birth of the five hundred dollar bourbon, mm-hmm. and now not to take away from the discussion on the earlier points, the you know price increase from say fifty to seventy five, cetera, But what consumers are looking for, and you just hit the nail on the head, nonstop. Do we have readers reach out to us um, or friends or, or anyone else run into? Hey, I want to spend hundred bucks on a bourbon. I want to spend fifty bucks on a bourbon. I want to spend two hundred. Does't matter what the price point is, right? whether it's low, high, whatever, they want to hit that price point. So I think what we're starting to see some brands do is use this time, especially around the time of inflation, and everything else and say let's readjust and let's get our levels right so that we have a level of some brand that's gonna appease to every single consumer out there. We have a super premium going for five hundred, great. we have one for two hundred, perfect. we have one for hundred, okay, fifty sure. and here's what we can offer you for thirty. So let's lock those folks in so when someone it's walks into a store and says, Hey, I have a, I want to buy, you know, I want to buy a nice bottle for my boss or I want to buy a nice bottle for my friend. I want to spend $150. Yep. There's your bottles right there. That's where you're going for. It doesn't matter what they taste like. You can spend your money and that's what you want to hit. I think we're starting to see a lot of brands, you know, reconfigure their portfolio to hit varying price points and and ones that consumers want to spend it on. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point.
4: I,
5: I totally agree. I I get that question at, at least once a week. It, you know what what can I what what should I buy for two hundred bucks? And it's not they're not looking at what it is. They're looking at what the dollar amount is. And I guess as long as you can still have your your full line of the portfolio, you you know you want to you want to get those high spots and you want to get the ones for us cheap ass Kentuckians who still remember six year Heaven Hill at eleven ninety nine.
3: I I'm guilty for spending way too much on bourbon. <laughs> I I really am. But I mean, you know, and you know, I'm putting together lists that are like best th- under 30 or under 40 mm-hmm. and and it's Can I get I those I, YouTube clicks. It's it's part of it. That's what people <laughs> want. But I mean, it is uh it's it's a matter of like what will what's going to happen to the economy? Like I mean, if mm. if if inflation continues to go up, I mean, gas is you know teetering on the verge of five dollars a gallon. Or will we start seeing jobs lost? I mean, people will not spend two hundred dollars. And if and if we have a, a lot of people in this country who can continue to afford two hundred dollar bourbon and they're taking private jets everywhere, then man, I I, I just think that we have a greater issue. And it, you know, bourbon is just a part of it. And I, of course, this is a bourbon podcast, but this is to me is like what will happen to luxury period if luxury goods period if if this continues uh to happen and you can take a look to the late 1970s when when this sort of thing happened there was a, an increase in cocktail culture there was an increase in liqueurs uh so there was like uh lower abv kind of things and the the higher proof spirits would be mixed out in cocktails. So historically, you know, that's all I can point toward is like the last time we saw this kind of thing uh, at this level uh, would have been the late 70s. And you saw a lot of liqueur action and you saw a lot of cocktail movement.
4: I still think the, the sector we're focusing on is very small in the grand scheme of things. You look at the, you know, the three biggest brands, you know, you got Jim Beam White Label. Evan Williams, Black Label, mm-hmm. and Bullet Bourbon. You know, Jack those are And Jack Dane. Well, whatever. If you consider that <laughs> bourbon, Tennessee whiskey, whatever. It's just, a bourbon. <laughs> just just flatter me for a second. Those are all, you know, under $30, you know. They're, you got to be that on a bar. If you want to move a ton of product, you got to be less than $30 on the bar to be able to hit those cocktail margin prices. And everyday consumers, you know, they that's where... I still think they're not going to, I think Jordan made a great point. They're going to have those brands that, all right, here's a brand that we could pivot to hit that premium market, but we're going to keep our staples at, you know, this, this lower to mid tier kind of price range. And they can, because there's a ton of margin there still. And so they can kind of just, you know, focus on which demographic they want to hit, you know, with different brands. And I, I think that was a brilliant point, Jordan.
2: Yeah. And it just goes back. And I Thanks, love Ryan. the
4: the analogy you put there, Ryan, because I
2: think it goes for any luxury. Fred brought the word luxury. Mm-hmm. Is bourbon considered a luxury? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, it's, it's a consumable, but there are different ways that you can picture it as luxury. Um, a handbag is luxury, whether you're getting a Louis Vuitton, a Chanel, or whether you're going to Target and you're getting the Kate Spade the same way with bourbon. So you can go to the Evan Williams side, you can go to, you know, something that's the $200 range. I just feel that you're always going to find the gaps and the producers are going to f- figure out a way to fill those gaps. Now, that's just from a on the shelf sort of per- uh, way. The way that I was also kind of framing this was you know, the as we were kind of talking about the the less than $30 bottles, we'll just say the $15 bottle of of Beam white label Like how long is it going to be until that needs to be a $20 bottle Mm -hmm. just because of everything that's happening and prices going up to the roof, freight costs are insane right now. And at some point, is that going to level off or is it going to be one of those things that says, well, no, this is just the new price that you're always going to pay because you paid it before. Why would I take my prices down? So I I would just assume that these additional prices that people are paying on the raw good side are not going to go anywhere. Uh And if they do, they're going to just go maybe like maybe five or
4: 10% cheaper than what they were or no, not what they were, but what they are now, but not to the levels that we saw a year ago. I don't know though. It's pretty competitive space and it's a commodity in some sense, you know, in these, in these lower to mid tier brands. And so, you know, it's so competitive and there's enough margin there that you saw this with beam and Jack Daniels in Europe. Beam was almost was damn near losing money with the tariffs, but they were just stuck there because yeah. we had to keep our brand presence, you know, in, in Europe. And so, you know, I don't know, it's a pretty competitive space to where they're going to do whatever they can to, to get consumers.
3: I mean, corn has increased uh, what I'm look The charts I'm looking at now have almost doubled in two years. So, yeah. I mean, th- these are, it- it's common for bourbon. I mean, the the raw goods, the, you know, it, I just think that there's there's a lot of fat on on the bourbon company line. And as and as soon as the as soon as the larger brands start feeling that they're going to start worrying about their stocks and then they will uh, Brown Forman, Heaven Hill, Jim Beam. They will open those up to the to the wholesale side and then they'll start pushing them out to the likes of, of blue run and blue note and whoever comes out as blue something tomorrow, (laughs) you know, they'll start pushing those out. And you know, that that's what will happen if they can't, if they can't afford to keep, to, to keep the cycle going. But I mean, this is this is a very real concern, and you know Blake's the most qualified of anybody here, being an accountant, but <laughs> to talk about this, so g- give us the give us the crystal ball here.
1: Yeah, no, uh, unfortunately, no distilleries opening up their books to me. Um, just yet. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no major distillery, surprisingly. But no, I mean, it, you know, it's it's basic economics. If if your cost of goods go up, something has to give. You know, are you cutting labor? Are you cutting other expenses? Um, what we talked about with taxes and marketing being one of the, uh, biggest, you know, biggest expenses, they're not cutting taxes, you know, <laughs> they don't have that control. So it's the obvious next step that prices just have to increase. Now, I don't think, I, I think it makes more sense and it's a much easier spin to the consumer to say, Hey, we're bumping up the price of a luxury good 15 to 20%. Than it is to bump up daily drinkers. You, you know, I know a lot of people who, if Jack Daniels is, you know, $19.99 at store and $21.99 at, this, at, at another store, they'll cross the highway and and go find it for $19.99. So I think that's a tougher sale because that's a value. Whereas the luxury, the increase isn't uh, felt nearly as bad. But I don't know. I, I think it may be a market opportunity for somebody to come in and get their hands on some barrels and say, okay, we've got the new competitor. If uh Jim Beam White Label wants to increase their price, I guarantee you Heaven Hill's gonna take that to you, you know, make sure Evan Williams on every shelf right next to it for a dollar cheaper. So it's like, or oh,
2: that, it could be like all the cable companies and they're yeah. just all going to kind of work together to yeah, figure out but, what's that price it's called that collusion. And, and
3: yeah. then, yeah. You know, yeah, then they'll the then they're awesome. yeah. end up in jail. Yeah. You know? yeah.
1: I mean, but I mean, yeah yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but I think we will see a little bit of that of, of they keep each other competitive with, with those value bourbons. I, and we're also, have to remember there's there's two tiers involved after the distillery, so it's it's you know the distributor wants to make sure that they're competitive on the shelf and the retailer wants to make sure that things are competitive on the shelf. So I think with all those forces combined, I think we could see an increase, but I think it'll be on the, hey, let's roll out brand X that we know we can make a much better margin on instead of trying to you know squeak out an extra dollar here and there off of white label.
5: All, all I got to add, maybe this closes this down, Kenny, is I've been watching the comments. No one has called you out on your analogies are louis vuitton and Ryan's is cows i
4: mean <laughs> both leather on. i mean both come leather
1: but, know, well both go leather goods i suppose what's
4: louis vuitton <laughs> yeah exactly well, it's a louis Vuitton. So. <laughs> Fred, fred's the one with uh armé's uh, ascots you know the, the, hey
3: you know what you know let's take a look at my ascot today it's got a bunch of skulls on it so be careful ryan
1: Oh, Fred! Remind uh, me to one for each of after this, uh, <laughs> My son, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was like yesterday. He goes, "Hey, what's an ascot?" I'm like, "Did Fred call?" Like, where, where did that come from? <laughs> like, that is the most random you, question I've got on YouTube. An <laughs> and I don't know if you he, like heard it somewhere or it was like pursuing <laughs> oh, <laughs> it. It's circle. probably
3: on one
2: of those random YouTube videos that
4: yeah watch. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> bringing it back, bringing it back. All right, well, fellas this is a fantastic roundtable. We had a lot of. Was good it topics. though? Was it though? Can you? I liked it? I, no, I, I thought, thought it was pretty on. good. It was all about financials. All if right. We would have just added in a spreadsheet. You know, in my heart I mean, would have been good. <laughs> yeah, it would have <laughs> been fine. No, it was fun. So let's go ahead. and We'll kind of close the things out. So we'll kind of go from uh, last to first here. So Jordan, I'll let you go here because you <laughs> were last on
0: the the, the
4: first mm, time but mm-hmm, you're
0: you're be mm-hmm, first mm-hmm. on the last time Ooh, i sense. like this okay here we go so this is thanks for having us this is jordan one of the three guys from breaking bourbon fantastic discussion great to see you guys again and uh stock up on your favorite bottles why they're quote-unquote cheap very true how deep can your bunker go good
4: psa
2: <laughs> brian
5: All right, thanks for having me back. Uh, Good, good to be back too. So um, great discussion. Um, This BBC thing has me thinking and and trying to figure out what they paid and what the when the equity fund is going to flip it because that's what they do. So real, real exciting stuff. Great to think about it. Thanks for having me.
2: You got it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe in end of this year, we'll put in some more bets and go into twenty twenty three with maybe clearer vision.
4: We'll see what happens. Blake, what web company would be flipped? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Once again, guys, thanks for having me. Always fun to be on, and especially talk accounting and bourbon. You know, it's worlds colliding. So, um, I'm Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. Uh, always fun to be here, and maybe one of these days we'll actually get a prediction right. Who Who knows? So- <laughs>
2: crazier things have happened so. that's not not gonna happen hmm. <laughs> not at all so make sure you follow all those guys make sure you follow bourbon pursuit on all the socials and if you do like the show if you're here right now hit the subscribe button we always put out nice little teasers of everything that we're doing on youtube but that is because we want you to go and download the podcast and check it out wherever you get your podcast that's on apple google spotify iheart radio pandora you name it we're on every single app out there so go ahead subscribe and share it with a friend. It's the best way to make sure that they're as smart as you. So you don't have to sit there and have these conversations of what $200 bottle should I buy today? And be like, just listen to what Brian has to say. And then you don't have to worry about doing that anymore. (laughs) But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week.